0: This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, sales EQ, and inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. This is a special day because I've got my best friend, Anthony Anorino, on with me. You've heard him before. And we're going to be talking about his brand new book called The Negativity Fast. Before we get started, I want you to go check out Sales Gravy University. Now, the beautiful thing about Sales Gravy University, if you like Anthony, is that you can go there and watch some of Anthony's courses. I'm especially fond of his new micro bites. These are really short hits of information, and Anthony's just brilliant. That will help you during your sales day to sell more and sell better. Sales Gravy University is a place where sales teams and individuals across the globe come to learn how to sell. And right now, if you've never taken a course on Sales Gravy, you can go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com, and use the code free course to take your very first course, any course you want for free. And if it were me, I'd choose one of Anthony's courses. Anthony. This book, The Negativity Fast, we, you and I were having a conversation, I don't know, probably two months ago, and it was just one of those conversations you have. I mean, literally, I don't think people realize this, but you and I talk almost every day, and pretty much every one of our conversations could be a podcast, but we were talking about this That's book, true. and I told you that I believe that this book – Will be the best seller for you that you've never had before. Like, I, this is going to sell more than all your books combined. And you've, you've had, like, record-selling books. You've had best-selling books. You've been uh, at the top of the charts. You're one of the most accomplished authors in sales on earth. But this book is different because this book touches people where they are right now. We are in a society where we're being pummeled by all of these outside forces that are changing the way that we think. They're changing our mindset, and frankly, they're bringing us down. And just case in point— was uh, two days ago I was heading out to my farm, and this was one of those things where I just indulged a little bit. So I indulged myself, and I put on one of the news channels on my my satellite radio, and I listened for 20 minutes. By the time I got to my farm, I was pissed off. Like I was (laughs) mad, and all this stuff was swirling around. And when I left to go out there, I was feeling great. And all it took was 20 minutes of negativity to totally— toast my day. So where I want to begin is I guess where you started like why what was the inspiration behind writing this book because it's just so different than the other things that you've written.
1: Well, I've written five books on sales and one on sales leadership. so uh, it was time for me to do something different but I'll tell you the the origin story. Uh, after having two brain surgeries, uh, in two days and losing a piece of my brain, uh, I was angry. And I don't know if it was physiological, psychological, both of those things, but certainly I was um, not happy on drugs. And I had uh, phenobarbital, that's what you use to tranquilize elephants. And I was taking that every morning and drinking 64 ounces of coffee to go back to sleep. that That's how bad it was for me. Uh, I decided to go to college, even though I tried to drop out of high school every day. I never wanted to go to school, but some part of me was like the scarecrow, right? I need a brain. So I thought I better do something with what I have left. So I went to college and I majored in political science. And as a libertarian, I could argue with everyone. So if you're the left or the right, I can argue with both of you, which was great for me, but not great for other people because I was well-read. After that, I ended up in law school, which is completely political. Like everything's political in law school. And at some point I had a, a mentor. His name was Mike Distelhorse. He's not with us anymore, but I would go and sit with him before we would go to class together. And uh, he said to me, Maybe you remember this. Maybe you don't remember. You might not. It's a long time ago. So 1996, Bill Clinton signed uh, a law that said, we didn't pay enough taxes, so we had a retroactive tax increase. And I was livid. I'm like, I paid all my taxes. I always pay all my taxes. And now I have to pay more? And he said, listen, you get so worked up over things like this. You're so angry about all this and the politics. like you should just let all of this go. Like, Just let it go, don't worry about it. He said, listen, you have three kids. I had three kids in law school because my wife said it takes a long time to have a baby. Yeah, it took like one time for me, both times it was one time. And uh, he said, the government is gonna have No influence on your children greater than the influence that you are for them. So give them the life that you want and let all of this go. Now, I wish I was smart enough to have taken his advice immediately, but it took me about six months and I realized I'm just getting angrier and angrier and angrier from watching all of this and paying attention to everything on AM radio and just always being in that environment. And I decided I'm going to get rid of all of this and see if I can feel better. So I got rid of all of my politics, my magazines, my books. I stopped, uh, uh, having conversations with people who were political. And I decided I have to just try to remove every negative source in my life. So I said, I'm going to do this for 30 days at the end of 30 days. I decided I'm gonna do it another 30 days cause I liked it so much. Like it felt better. I turned off all of television, all of the radios. I didn't, I had no um, negative sources coming in. So I'm not, I'm now not ingesting the poison anymore. And at the end of the 60 days, I realized that was really good but I wonder if I started taking in things that were positive instead of negative, if that would make me feel even better than I do right now. So then I did 90 days. At the end of 90 days, I decided I'm just never gonna turn the TV back on. And so I stopped and I wrote something about LinkedIn on this and about a half a dozen people said, oh, I quit uh, watching the news uh, in 2017. I've never turned it back on. And when you start removing the sources of the negativity, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's the news, sometimes it's people who want to trigger you for some reason. And when you start removing all of those things, things get to be a lot better for you. So the reason that I'm more positive than negative is simply because I tried to remove all the negativity so that I'm not keeping that in my body
0: well, it's interesting that you use the word fast, so a negativity fast. So intermittent fast or intermittent fasting has been a been a rage lately and in, in dieting. But if we think about fasting traditionally, it's been a spiritual thing. It's been about cleansing yourself before God. It's been it's been part of right. pretty much every every religious experience, no matter what the faith, it's been part of that. Fasting is a is a big piece of that. How does how does the spirituality of fasting fit into the theme of of this particular book?
1: I, I'm I'm I've done this for a long enough time, and I've done it with a number of groups of people. And one of the things that it does create sort of a clearing for you. So for the spiritual part, it, it starts to give you this clearing where you can start focusing on the the spiritual side of us. And that is part of who we are as as human beings. So that is part of us. And I think that can get distorted, you know, when you have a lot of negativity. I think anger is one of the most dangerous things for all of us. Uh, I think the more angry you are, I have a sister who's really angry, and she's miserable about trauma in her life, but she's now going on 60 years old, you know, and she hasn't cleared any of that. And so she's just not, not as happy as she could be because she's so negative. And the spiritual part of this is like, that's part of who us, who we are. So you have to get a clearing. And I would tell you that if you can get rid of the negativity, it's better.
0: Over the last year, I've been really focusing a lot of my time and effort reading and studying on this concept of health span, which is how many days, months, years of your life are you healthy? Do you feel good? Are you content? Are you happy? Like are you in a situation where you can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish for the most part? And you know that that's a little bit different than lifespan. You can you can live a long time and be unhappy, but can you sure. live and be happy? And part of that is your physical being. So are you are you in shape? Are you eating healthy? Those type of things. But a big part of that is the is the mental aspect. And there's a lot of science, a lot of science uh about how anger and negative feelings impact our health. like especially your heart health, it can drive cancer, uh, it can create uh, diabetes. like the, the way that you're thinking uh, can can really ruin your your health span because it ruins your physiology as well as uh, as what's happening in your head. and it can also lead to dementia and Alzheimer's. So like those emotions do matter. And and I don't know that we're always aware. Like like I was aware because I was doing this interview, so I you know I popped the news on as a just as a it was an indulgent. Like it was just listening to bubble gum for me. And because I've been thinking about this book and thinking about you, I was I was like at the conscious level aware of the emotions that were happening inside of me when I got to the gates of one of my most favorite places in the world, and I wasn't in the state that I'm typically in when I walk through those gates. And I, I I, don't know that we're always aware, if we're not consciously rising above it, of what it's doing to us, both mentally and physically.
1: There is—this um, is the first book where I have so many citations that we had to move them all to the back of the book because there's so many. There's hundreds uh, for everything that I read. If I made any statement or if I made a claim, there is a citation to that. And it's really odd when you start talking like you're talking right now about what your health looks like through this lens of negativity. It's incredibly bad for you to be angry. And the more angry you are, the more you have health problems. And this is all science. So this isn't like my conjecture or Jeb's opinion. If all you have to do is read the, the, the back of the book and you're going to find all kinds of bad things that happen to people who are not grateful, uh, who are not positive. It just, it can take a terrible toll, including all of the things like Alzheimer that you said and dementia, uh, heart, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, all of those things, all these things that are real risks to the length of your life and the happiness that you have at that time, it, it needs to be worked on. So that's what I spent a lot of time on with writing this book was, how can you get rid of these things? And it turns out, that the fast that I did was really good, but then I started to look for what are the science-backed ba- um, strategies? And so the book is full of science-backed strategies. So these aren't conjecture either. Everything there is, everything claimed is citated. So, so you could see it and you can go pick the paper up if you wanna read more about these things. It's, it's strange that you say that, but there's the other side of this is that if you see the claims on gratitude, if you see what gratitude does for you, you're you won't believe it. Like it's so important for you, uh, for your mental health. Uh, it will reduce your blood pressure. It will improve your immune system. Uh, every single thing that you can think about in your health is better with gratitude. It's amazing. Like it it reduces blood pressure. Like all of these things, and you read it and you think like. That can't be true. That's too many things. It's doing too many things, just gratitude. And it turns out that the science on that is very well um, constructed. And people know what they need to do to be able to give you this. And one of the things that I have in the book is something called three blessings. So Marty Seligman is the father of positive psychology. There was only negative psychology uh, at one point in time when he started in, in college, you either needed pharmaceuticals or you needed a psychoanalyst. The, that was the only two things. So th- that's what you would be thinking about. But he decided that you could be positive and you could flourish and you don't need a psychoanalyst and you don't need pharmaceuticals to do this. So this thing I'll share here for people, because this will just be something you can do right now. It's nothing. It's nothing difficult I can give you two things that you need to do, and this is called Three Blessings. When Seligman uh, was on Time Magazine, he had an entrepreneur that worked with him, and they built this survey, and he asked people to do two things. One, at the end of your day, write down three good things that happened to you, and then write down what caused those things to go well for you. If you did that for two weeks, uh, you would no longer be depressed. And what Seligman said is that it's probably more potent than either psychoanalysis or pharmaceutical. That's how powerful gratitude is. And we don't think about that. And I've had a gratitude journal for a long time, but it's boring because you love your wife, you love your kids, like you put all those things down. But when you have to figure out like what went well for me today, you've got a lot of variety. So you're not saying the same thing over and over again in your journal. And then when you start looking back at them and you start to think about all these good things that happened to you, it starts to temper that negativity because you're focusing on things that are good and things that are helpful for you instead of focusing on the negativity that most of these, that's coming in in almost every media that we have, right?
0: You know, earlier this uh, this week, we had Jamie Lynn here in the studio, and we did a podcast on wellness and and uh, and and mindfulness and uh, for for sales professionals. So, what are you doing to to make yourself better? And we we talked a lot about sleep and how powerful sleep is. And there's there are also reams of data on. You don't sleep, you're gonna die. Like it's if you don't sleep, it's worse. You could smoke a you know a carton of cigarettes a day. Sleeping, not sleeping is the same impact. And for sales professionals, because of what we do, having a good night's sleep gives us more confidence. It it makes us better at at thinking creatively, and it just makes us nicer human beings. And I think about Before you go to bed at night, what so many of us do is we are laying in bed and we're looking at our phone. And even though all the experts say, don't look at your phone before you go to bed, that's what we do. And typically what we're seeing on our phone are not happy things. They're either negative things that are coming at us or they're things that require us to covet what other people are doing. So we're watching what they're doing on social media, assuming that that's their life. And it makes us feel worse about ourselves. So we're we're not grateful for what we have because we want what others have. And I, I, I'm just, as you said that, I'm thinking, what a great exercise to go through the three blessings before you go to bed at night. So rather than looking at your phone and making yourself feel bad, sit down and think about what, what you're grateful for, even better if you could have that conversation with your family before you went to bed. But that would allow you to sleep better because I can tell you personally how many nights have I closed my eyes and then run in circles over and over and over about something negative that happened or other things that I'm worried about, versus just being grateful that I'm in a nice soft bed, that I'm you know I'm at home, that I'm safe, that I had a good a, a good meal before I went to bed, and I had a good day. I, I, that that to me seems to be a really powerful way to use this particular exercise.
1: My uh, poor wife scrolls. Uh, I shut my eyes at nine o'clock and I'm asleep at nine o'clock. So there's no scrolling for me. I go right to bed, but I get up at four o'clock in the morning. So nine o'clock is a good time to go to sleep. If you are anxious or if you are stressed, which can happen to everybody all all the time, uh, one of the things that I found to be really helpful, and this is another science bat kind of strategy that you could use. If you write down all of these things that have your attention, You're getting them out of your body, and you're putting them on paper. So now they don't have the same power over you. And if you would do this, you would feel a lot better. If you can do something about it, write down, this is what I'm going to do about this tomorrow morning as soon as I get up. If you can do something about it, great. Okay, now you feel better. And if you can't do something about it, then just cross it off and say, I can't do anything about that. Now I just have to go on with my life. But some of that is like mindfulness. Like if you just notice that I'm focused on this thing and don't connect to it, just let it go by, write it down. Uh, it can give you a distance from those things and, and reduce the negativity. Uh, I've used that for a long time. I call it a fireboard. Like everything's on fire. So I have to write down all the fires. And I got to figure out which ones I can stamp out and which ones I just have to let them burn because
0: I, I love that. I can't do the fireboard. So y'all write that down. Everybody needs to have a fireboard that I never thought about it that way, but that's a, I've got a place in my closet where I could put a fireboard. So if I'm on and wake up in the middle of the night, thinking about something, I could, I could write that down.
1: Excellent. And then it's out of you and it's back on something else like paper or whatever you have. Now,
0: isn't it true that if we start thinking about how negativity impacts our relationships in particular, uh, so we think gratitude. I think that's a, a super important thing: being grateful for what you have, being grateful for uh, the relationships you have. But, but if you think that what you put into your ear hole and your eye hole has a tendency to come out of your mouth hole, <laughs> like how, how does that how does that manifest itself in our relationships? That the the input becomes output.
1: What, one of the things that causes people to have problems in relationships is complaining. It's it's one of the big pillars in this book. You have to stop complaining. So complaining has a good side and a bad side. When you have a problem, and people start complaining about it, you can do something about it. So that's great. But the more that you complain, the more you're transferring your negativity to other people, and they're transferring their negativity to you. So it's really, really important to understand that if you're gonna complain about something, you should have the solution and you should be presenting that solution as part of this instead of just complaining. What happens, this is the biggest risk for complainers. And I complained for a long time. I'm a world-class, if there was an Olympic a sport called complaining, I'd have a whole bunch of gold medals right on my, my chest. But I, I gave it up because when you know the truth, The more you complain to people, the more they want to get away from you. So it's really detrimental to relationships. It's one of the things that there's science on. The more you complain, the more you drive people away from you because you're just a complainer. So a lot of people that are watching this are business people. So when you have people who are complaining, they're transferring that to the rest of their team. So the way that I've described this is the only kind of cancer that spreads uh, from human to human is negativity. And that complaining does that. And it does drive people away from you, including uh, family members. So that that is something that people have to pay a lot of attention to. You can be unhappy about something, but the more you complain, the more you're making other people uh, repelled away from you.
0: And, and they begin to resent you for it because yeah. every time they're with you, they're not getting quality time with you because... Of of what's coming out of your mouth, and the same thing goes for you. You if you're if you're ungrateful for the people in your life, if you don't if you can't find the positive in them, you begin to resent them as well. And the problem for relationships, and this is there's some science back behind this where uh where uh, scientific observers can watch a couple having a conversation with each other and they can they can see the emotion of contempt on their face so resentment is the beginning of contempt but once you reach the contempt state they can with a, a great deal of accuracy predict whether or not those relationships will last because resentment and cons- and contempt are essentially the gangrene of human relationships and once once we move to that space of contempt there's just no saving it but the thing about gratitude that i think is so powerful in your message is that resentment and can- contempt cannot exist in the same space as gratitude so right. if you simply shift your mindset and you start l- looking at what you have it's you'll you'll find the positivity one of the one of the messages that i have particularly for leaders is that A lot of leaders are worried about people liking them, and that, again, causes problems with resentment and contempt and negativity uh, because the leaders are trying to chase like, and it doesn't really work very well. The key to real leadership—and by the way, this is the key to stewarding your family. This is the key to all relationships in your life—is finding the things in other people that you like. like. And so, in rather than say a negativity fast, like one of the, the techniques is to go seek out positivity. What is it that I like about you? Like Ulysses over here, he's our producer. You know, the thing I like about Ulysses the most is that Ulysses lives to treat himself. He walks around, he's like, I'm going to treat myself. You're laughing right now, but he says it all the time. And, uh, and I, you know, and I dig that, like I dig the joy and, you know, treat yourself. That's a, it's just an easy thing to say. So you find the things about other people that you, that you like, and you look for positivity that, um, makes all the difference in the world. I'm
1: There's with, no uh, doubt.
0: I'm with, uh, Anthony and Arena. We're talking about the negativity fast and we're going to be back in just a moment. But first I-, I love free stuff and Anthony, I know you like some free stuff too, and we've got some free stuff for you at salesgravy.com. If you go to salesgravy.com forward slash resources, that's salesgravy.com forward slash slash resources. We've got guides and eBooks. For example, we've got the Fanatical Prospecting Book Club Guide. That's one of our most favorite downloads. It's a 32-page book club guide, comprehensive, either for an individual that wants to use it as a guide to walk through the book or uh, as a team, you can print it out for everybody, and then you can use that in your sales meetings. So go to salesgravy.com forward slash resources and get some free stuff. Now, Anthony, when we think about going on a negativity fast, this is going to be hard. So let's start with why it's going to be difficult. And I'm just going to make the assumption, and you maybe talk, talk through this with us, is that negativity is like an addiction, like it's almost like a drug. And so this, this, this moving away from negativity can be a very difficult thing for us to do.
1: It, it, is, uh, it is somewhat difficult to do this, but I'll tell you why it's uh, difficult. Um, as we were evolving and to the humans that we are today, uh, we have something that's called negativity bias. Okay, so there's four, there's four parts to negativity bias. So the first part of that is called negativity potency. So a negative emotion or a negative event just registers a lot more than a positive. So that's just true for all of us. It's just more potent. Um, the other thing is, uh, I'll give you the second one is a negative differentiation. So it's harder for us to, um, process the negativity. It takes more of our brain power. It takes more resources for us to do that. And so that's another thing. So when these events are complex, uh, they don't register the same way as positive. You know, like if you're, yesterday was my birthday. So I'm catching up to you now. So it seems that I keep getting closer to you all the time in this.
0: Well, I'm, but... I'm going backwards. I'm...
1: <laughs> I hope you're right about that.
0: Our, our brains need to do more work to
1: deal with the negative than the positive. So you you remember the birthday cake, but you remember the trauma way better than that because it took a lot of energy for that. This one is a, a difficult one to talk about, but I'll do it the easiest way of, of possible. It's called steeper negative gradients. So what that means is that the closer a negative event comes to us, the more negative and the more powerful it is on our body and changing us to be Uh, more negative. And then the last one is called negative dominance. So if you read thinking fast and slow, so the same person that wrote that book, uh, actually did this experiment. If you um, were, let's say you lost $100, you dropped it, you lost $100. But 15 minutes later, you found $150. You're still more negative about losing the 100 than getting the $50. you're up 50, but you're still mad because you lost that. So that is what we're just that's part of what allowed us to uh, live through the Paleolithic time. So you and I would be going out and we're going to try to find something that we can eat. And the thing that we're trying to eat is probably trying to eat us at the same time. And so you can't be very optimistic when you have threats all around you at that time. And the scientists believe that the reason that we're still here is because we have this negativity bias and that bias keeps us from harming ourselves and not being able to survive. So that's just built into everyone. So all of these strategies that we've been talking about are a way to beat back that negativity bias, but it does take effort. And the first time you try to get rid of all of the media that you consume, uh, it's difficult. But I will tell you this, if you do give up those sources, I promise you all the negative people in your life will remind you of all the bad things that are happening outside of your window. But you don't have to pay attention to it that same way that other people do. And you're right, it's an addiction for a lot of people. I have family members who can't get away from uh, Fox or for MSNBC with these, these new, let's call them business models. And the business model is I'm going to feed this part of the narrative and the other guys are going to feed the other part of the narrative. And now we've got two warring tribes, which is not helpful. It's just not helpful for us, especially where we are right now
0: in the United States. Well, it's also human nature to enjoy watching a train wreck. So, and that's, (laughs) that's basically what, what they've done. And that's what social media is. What's when, what the news is, and it is an indulgence. It's an indulgence to watch on the outside vicariously and and watch these these negative behaviors. But you're also right. You, know, you think about the, the the negativity bias, safety bias. It's The, the way that I explain it is, you know, I offer you a free lunch, and you think that's really great, but your mind immediately goes to, what if I get hit by a bus on the way to your free lunch? And that's just the way that we're built, because people who didn't take risks were more likely to pass on their genes. But if we go back to the Paleolithic times, there wasn't a Fox News or an MSNBC or social media chirping in your ear all the time. You were you were experiencing r- real issues, like you know, like you said, you're you know you're going out and hunting for lunch, and there's usually something hunting for you. So, so we've we've. And it's, by the way, this is not much different than the way our diets have changed as well. I mean, we're addicted to to processed food for the same reason because we we haven't. Evolved as human beings, our brains have not evolved from forty thousand years ago. It is essentially the same brain with the same biases, with the same reactions, and all of this becomes a problem in our modern world where we're we're, we can consume negativity anytime, anywhere, and all you got to do is just watch, just watch people. My wife and I were on a bus in Milan, Italy, not long ago, and we were we were on a subway, and we were just hanging out we were moving from place to place and my wife goes look at this and i looked around she goes there is nobody nobody on this train and there's probably a 100 people in the train that is looking up that's paying attention that's talking to another human being every single human on the train except for us we're looking into their phone screens and a hundred percent of what they're getting out of those phone screens is negativity either negativity in the form of something really bad happening? Negativity, uh, there's a crime, there's somebody got hurt, whatever the case is. There, politicians doing the wrong thing, or all the people in your life are doing better than you are. I mean, that's really what what this is is a contest to one up everyone else. So we're, it's everywhere. And and I, I was watching Simon Sinek on a TikTok video. Uh, just uh, yesterday, and I saved it because I loved it. And he was just talking about our phones and how we were so addicted to them that that we replace human relationships. Even when we're not on the phone, we're holding the phone. The phone's on the table. We tell other people that this device that feeds us negativity is more important than them. And This, uh, th- this box right here
1: is carried around uh, more let's say with more discipline than somebody carrying around a new baby. Like this thing, it's, it's like a, you're carrying a baby around with you every minute. Yeah. And it just, all it does is distract you. Uh, when you're talking about when people go to social media, I'll tell you about that. There's a, a book called wanting by Luke Burgess. It's a good book. Uh, and what it's about is what's called memetics, not the memetics like memes, but this one's with an M I and what, the research in this uh, says in this book is that mostly we don't want things because we want them. We want them because other people have them. And so that's a model. And that model is following another model that's following another model that's following another model. And we don't really want these things. We think we're supposed to want them. So when you look at the Joneses, and they look like they have this great big house, and they're super happy together, they're miserable people they have to put this show on every day on instagram to have the 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 attention that they need and if you need attention like that that bad i mean it says that there's something
0: broken there right yeah it's it's so. a, it's the it's the bastardization of these two um human Needs that are that are and sometimes they can be at odds with each other. And one is the insatiable human need to feel important, to feel like we matter. And you cannot feel that need typically. And then there's this the the things that we want, and the thing that we want more than anything else is what we can't have. And when you when you put those two things together, it's a really bad combination that that feeds negativity because your brain starts seeking out those that attention or that negativity, which creates this. This really bad loop in our lives of showing off for other people, and you know we've all been there. I'm, this is not, you know, I don't think this is you and I, I preaching at the world. I mean, we're. I've we're, seen you, you know. on stage, so I, I know. <laughs> I've seen you on stage too. I've <laughs> I've wanted to be you. Maybe you've wanted to be me. I don't know. I talk about you all the time. Like I wish I could be like Anthony, and and that and that may be a good example because you and I have had this conversation before. When you and I first met, I said this all the time to you. I was like, I wish I could be like you. I wish I could talk like you and form words like you. And, you know, one of my biggest issues on stage is that sometimes I just make stuff up. My wife goes, that was not a word. And I go, I know, but, you know, it just sounded good in the moment. I stumble over my words. I sometimes forget things. And, and then I watch you and I'm like, just could be like that. And then one day somebody said to me, you know what? The thing that makes you unique is the way that you go about it. People like it because it it's authentic. It's just who you are. So don't try to be somebody else. And what I had to do was was basically tell myself it's okay to be you. Not, not, just, not okay to be sloppy. Not okay not to do my research or right. show up unprepared. But it's okay if you're on stage and you make a mistake. And now when I do it, I don't get off stage and then spend the next three days beating myself up because I missed a cue in my speech or I was going to say this, but I didn't say that. I just let it all go and just be in the moment. And as a keynote speaker, that's that's elevated who I am as a keynote speaker. It's gotten me on more stages. It's allowed me to raise my fees you know, 4x because I'm not trying to do anything other than just be myself, and I'm not performing for anyone other than the love I have for that audience to make sure that I'm positively impacting their lives. And that became the drive. That wasn't a shift that I made automatically. It was, it was something that happened through paying attention and through trial and error and through sometimes just getting tired of sitting in a corner or being miserable and trying to figure out, you know, how I could be something else. So you, you talk about this, the fast as being a 13 week exercise. Yeah. Uh, so if you, even if you were to, th- you know, if you start thinking about that last analogy, but you think about your life, and you think about how you can let all this go. It's addictive, as you said. It is neurophysical, in a, and in many ways, it is. These are baked-in biases. The negativity bias is who you are. You, it is part of our makeup because it was. It's designed to keep you alive. Um, to see what's wrong, not what's right in a situation. How do we embark on this? Like, let's let's start with you 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 say 13 weeks so let's maybe talk about why 13 weeks matters and then and then maybe walk us through just how do we how do like somebody's listening to this in their car where do they begin
1: i mean if they're in their car and they're listening to this this is good for you to listen to like you should be you're probably better off with a podcast than you are with any media a social media Certainly not the cable news channels. Like you could get rid of those. Uh, the hard part of this for me, and in large part, is my wife, because she'll ask me, "Did you see that story today?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't see it." And she's like, "How did you not see that?" I wasn't looking for it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking any of that in because I would rather be doing something that would be helpful or useful to other people, like you do every day. Like we're we're out trying to help people get better results and i don't want to focus on the negativity stuff. So the first thing that i would tell you if you can remove whatever cable news channel first. That would be a really really good start. So uh, let me let, let me
0: stop you there. So i want to i want to nail that down. So let's start with when you're driving, right? Listen to something good for you. Right. Audiobook, you can listen to a podcast, you can um you can listen to happy music, but when you're in your car, you make the commitment that if I'm driving, I'm listening to something good for me, and right. then when you get home, you want to remove cable news. Just turn it off. Like the easiest thing is just turn the TV off. Um, so you you could do those things. But let's. I want to go back to share. Okay, so your wife and you're like. I mean, y'all love each other. You've been together forever. Um, you're not 20, gonna, re- you're not gonna, you're not gonna year. remove Cher. I mean, you could, but if, you, <laughs> but I, I've I've seen her and I think she could kick your rear end. So, uh, so how do you how do you deal with that? So you remove all those things, but you come home and someone's saying, "Did you see? Did you see? Did you see?" Like that's like you know if you you know you're trying to to quit drinking and you come home and you know your spouse is you know pops open a bottle of wine and pours a big glass, that's a hard situation for you.
1: He's um she's so much better than me in so many different ways. But one of them is that it doesn't it doesn't give her the negativity. She's an Enneagram nine. So she's a peacemaker. And so that stuff for her, it doesn't give her the anger at all. She's she's not an angry person. But that's at but all, the same so. thing.
0: Like she's not an alcoholic, you are, right? <laughs> you know, she's so she's drinking wine. Wine doesn't put her over the edge, it does you, but you're in the same household together. That's a hard place to be. And she could totally kick your ass. She she's very forgiving. She has to be, right?
1: <laughs> not not like uh, Carrie. Carrie has to be incredibly careful, right? <laughs>
0: Carrie. Carrie can totally kick my ass. So how do you deal with that? Like how do you like how do you come home and everybody around you is scrolling on their phones? They're your your kids are doing it. You're you know your your significant other's doing it. How do you help them know what you're going to do, and maybe even explain it to them, or just just ignore that type of thing? What what's what's some of the models that you can use in those situations?
1: We I took uh, my wife to lunch about three weeks ago, and everybody was like this. Every single person had this in front of them, and I looked around to count how many. There's about seventy percent of the people in the restaurant and I had left my phone at home. And so she's not looking at her phone. I don't have a phone. And that's what you should probably be doing. Like leave the phone in the car, uh, leave it at home if you can do that. But we, we have conversations about those things that she wants me to know about. And I'm interested to know that those things happen, but I'm more interested in reading like The Economist because it's not supposed to be divisive it's more fair and balanced. It really is. So you're getting something that you can get the news without getting this divisiveness that uh, bothers me tremendously. I don't care what your politics are. Uh, You have your politics. I like you if you are the most progressive, progressive I've ever met, or if you're the most conservative, conservative I've ever met. Doesn't matter to me at all. I'm never going to look at you through that single lens of politics and say that we have some sort of a a problem because we don't have the same beliefs about uh, what should be doing what we should be doing with this country. So I think that that's one of the things that's difficult, but you do have to do it. You have to start thinking about. I don't have to have any beef with anybody because they have picked up whatever meme they picked up. Some of us pick up a conservative meme. Some people pick up a progressive one, and we're all still Americans. And I would like us to to do better.
0: So, uh, Henry so would it Clay, be, would it be not, or, fair to say with your relationships that you make the commitment not to engage? So if if your spouse comes and said, hey, did you see that? It's okay to have the conversation about it. You go, no, tell me about it. And they talk about it. But you don't you don't engage. Uh, if, they, if, they, if there's gossip about your neighbor or something else happening, you acknowledge it, but you just don't engage. So essentially the beginning of the negativity fast is you remove the negativity from your life. And then you begin setting the example in your own household or in your own circle for this is how I'm going to live.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's a better way to live. It doesn't mean that you have to avoid all news. I would just say pick the right sources. And then if you are someone who reads political magazines, if that does it for you, I don't know what all the triggers are for some people. Uh, I did a, a query to figure out what people complain about. And uh, it turns out that it's just about everything, uh, weather, other drivers, like you can just go down the list uh, and they're, they get triggered by all these things, but all these things are gonna happen to you in your life. So you just have to decide, what are you gonna do? I was driving uh, to the airport two days ago and somebody cut me off and I have a nice car that's got a lot of AI and it, it slams the brakes on before I could slam the brakes on, even though I wasn't close enough that we were gonna be in any trouble. But it jarred me out of that. And at one point in my life, I would have probably had a a negative reaction. And instead of that, I just said, great, you know, the car stopped us before anything could happen. And uh, that was really lucky for us that nothing worse happened, right? So at one point I would have found that negative. And to me, it was like that person's driving bad uh, one of the strategies in the negativity fast is to uh, lie to yourself. So you, if you lie to yourself about what just happened, uh, you can get the, rid of the negativity. My younger brother, uh, Jake, is a comic. And if you go see Jake, um, I'm not responsible for any reaction that you might have to my younger brother's comedy. Uh, if you're in the front row, uh, I would tell you, uh, you may you may have an interaction with Jake, because that that's probably going to happen. He has to drive around from place to place. So he's in Florida right now. He's probably done like 25 gigs in Florida, he's driving all over the place. And one time, somebody was trying to cut him off. And he looked over at this guy's face, and he saw his face, and he recognized that face. And he said to himself, that guy needs to get to the rest- restroom. Like, I can see it on his face. And, and I said, How did you know? And he goes, because that happens to me all the time. <laughs> and so he's like, go, buddy, go get in front of me. Now, he doesn't know if that guy really had to go to the bathroom or not, he could just be a bad driver. But instead of being angry, and having road rage over something like that, he's like, No, go, you probably have to get to the restroom. And uh, and that's a lie. Or the person that cuts you off when you're trying to go through the grocery store, that person maybe they didn't see you, maybe like you could just say, this person really needs to get out of here for some reason. And you don't have to attach anything negative to it. So I think that these are just practical things that are science based. And thankfully, they're practical, because you can lie to yourself. And um, sometimes when I'm looking at something like that, I want to come up with the story, like, why did she cut me off? She's late, she's going to get fired if she doesn't get there. So good, let her go, right? I, yeah, I don't
0: have to attach. It's the, it's the practice of assuming positive intent. So yeah. when, some, when, some, when someone negative, does something that offends you, it's assuming it's, it's, I love lying to yourself. It's, I say this all the time. We have something happen at work and let's assume positive intent before we go to yeah. this person was doing something nefarious. Let's look at it from a different lens. And what you'll find is when you do that almost always, they, it was positive intent. They didn't, they didn't, nobody meant to do anything wrong. They, really? they were try. they were trying to do the right thing. And, you know, typically if people think what they're doing is the right thing, it's not going to gonna occur to them to do it on your schedule or your way. So I think we have to, I think that's a really good point. And I love this idea of lying to yourself, change the narrative because what's, what's interesting to me is that, and I talked about this when I, when I talked, I wrote the, uh, and people follow you, I wrote this book, this, this uh, whole um, section on how leaders can come to work and create a lot of havoc because they got cut off in traffic and then they walk through the door and they're still angry because they got caught off in traffic and then everybody's looking at them and making assumptions about their behavior based on their own circumstance. And if you if you think about it, the person that cut you off on tra- traffic, they haven't given you another thought they might not even know that they cut you off. They had no idea that you were in an AI car. They just went on. But that human being has now impacted your entire day. They've changed your life to, you know, for the bad because of the way that you perceive that. So I love that tip, lie to yourself. Give us a couple more tips for stepping into this 13-week this uh, fast and uh, and. and and maybe some of the pitfalls that, that you you ran into when you were on yours that can set you back.
1: The, the hardest thing for me was people who thought because I was political for one period of time, I'm post-political now, uh, they would want to argue with me. And I'm not going to argue with you over your politics. I'm just not going to. I have nothing to say about it. I have uh, family members who would love to argue with me about it i'm not arguing about it so that's one of the harder things to do is to just say i'm disengaging and the second thing is if you have really negative people in your life you have to try to get some distance away from them and that is the hardest part of this so if you have one thing that's really difficult it could be a parent who's uh, negative and it's very hard for you to do something about a parent or uh, an in-law i mean or somebody in their family Those are the hardest parts because they're human beings that you have relationships with, and you have to reset that relationship with them that I'm not gonna argue with you over anything like that because our relationship is too valuable for us to have any kind of conflict over anything like that. And fortunately, I don't have a lot of that, but it could be people that work with you. It could be people in your family. It could be people in your community but the more that you can get distance from any source of negativity uh whether it's media whether it's other human beings but i will tell you at the end of this what i know for sure is that we make ourselves negative and so there's a a, a doctor named uh, albert ellis and he wrote a book about how to get uh, not to be angry so um there's a very simple thing that he uses. It's ABC. A is the activating event. So that's the first thing. The B is the belief of what you think that meant. And then the C is the consequences. So what we do is we focus on the belief that person cut me off. That person was, you know, driving recklessly or whatever. And so you can, that's the uh, activating event, but what does it mean? Were they trying to maliciously hurt you? Uh, No, but if you believe that, you're gonna have a negative reaction. So what um, Ellis would tell you to do is just change the belief about what they were doing. Uh, That's in the chapter that Jake, uh, in the same one where he's lying to himself. So decide what you want him to believe. Like if somebody's cut you off, uh, assume good intentions and until otherwise. If they really wanted to hurt you, they would have. They were reckless or they were distracted, who knows what. But I think that that just, if you could just get the belief of what that means, then that, there was a guy that cut me off. I was going to get gas and he he went in front of me and took my pump. I drove around and I went to another place. I, I don't need the negativity. He doesn't need the negativity. Uh, he maybe was in a hurry i don't know did he have to get his kid to school i mean i can make up as many lies as you want to forgive him for that because who cares just move on with your life and the, uh, the people things are the hardest part Yeah, the trick that the, i use in this stuff is easier yeah,
0: the trick i use in this situation especially arguing you know dealing with people who argue is um is a and i I worked on this in my own marriage because I—I I, there was a time in my life I would argue with a wall, like if, if, if I would argue with anybody, and because I'm a competitive person, I want to win. Is you know, do you want to be right, or you want to be happy? So you, do you want to win the argument, or you want to be happy? And when I adopted that, it like it changed everything. So I just don't engage in arguments uh, that are useless. There's no there's no win in that. There's no. There's, you can indulge in it, but it doesn't change anything. So when I ask that question, do you want this or do you want that, that triggers me to say, stop. Even though internally, because we're human beings, because of the fight or flight response and all the things that come along with getting in an argument with someone, because that's there, that little trigger stops me. And then things like traffic and people cutting you off and the bad things that human beings do, and there is some bad stuff that human beings do out there. Uh I've, I've adopted a, another, you know, do you want this or do you want that? Do you want to be alive or do you want to win? And, you know, because there's, there's not a lot of win for driving down a highway and slamming your brakes on and weaving in and out of traffic just so you can win, you know, the person cut you off. And th- that's a difficult thing to do for a lot of people because emotionally we're connected to a negative outcome.
1: I still don't believe that you've ever won an argument with Carrie. No, never. <laughs> Not once. I don't I don't I don't yeah. think you're capable of that. No, but That's I but I spent a, a lot. lot I
0: spent a lot of my life trying and it didn't it didn't it didn't solve any problems. But, why why 13 weeks? So what's the what's the basis behind 90 days?
1: I think that when I did it the first time the 30 days felt good, but it did feel like it was enough. So I did another 30. And then I did another 30. And then I stayed on it after that. But I think that if you don't give it enough time to sort of work for you, it takes some time for it to work for you. It just, like like 30 days, you you just, you feel somewhat better. Um, My first mistake was not putting positivity in first, but I would do that now. And that's what I recommend, like just consume uh, Jeb's content, uh, my content, like uh, pick up, anybody who's super positive. So when you see people that are super positive and they have a good message, any of those things are great for you because you're what, what I felt like I was doing was trying to blast out the negativity by putting so much positivity and there wasn't gonna be any room left. So I was thinking it was like a glass and the glass has got poison in it and I gotta blast that out of there so I can have something better up here. Cause this is where everything starts for all of us.
0: Yeah, as you say that, my what I'm visualizing is, if you had a glass that was full of oil and you poured water into it, the oil would go out because the oil floats on top. So the negativity, because of the way that we like the negativity bias, the negativity essentially floats on top of positivity. So if you can put enough positivity in the glass, the oil just spills over and goes away. Really powerful. Um, Great metaphor. Let's. I want to end with uh, back to anger and and forgiveness. So if you think about internal negativity, we've been thinking about external things like, you know, we are watching the news or we're having conversations with people, but there's, I know there've been time in my life where there have been people who have wronged me and legitimately they wronged me and I've been angry about it. And I've had a really difficult time letting that go. And no, and, and if you look at any religious text, what, 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 Every religion teaches you is turn the other cheek, forgive them, let it go. That is a whole lot easier said than done. And what I found is that in those situations, that ate at me and ate at me and ate at me. Now, there have been times when I've been able to use it as fuel. So, you know, the whole saying, turn your haters into motivators. And that's been a positive thing. I've been able to take a positive from the negative and say, okay, this person wronged me, typically in a professional sense, uh, and I've been able to turn it into more. But I found it to be really hard. And that that's an internal thing that happens inside right. you. It's almost like a poison inside of you that you're trying to overcome. But I gotta, I mean, I'm just speaking for all the human beings out there. When you get angry that way, when you get that level of resentment and contempt for someone, that's hard to let go. And during that 90 days, every time that resurfaces, uh you're gonna you're gonna feel it and it may set you back. So if, if you can end by walking us through this concept of forgiveness and how, how do you do this in a way that truly can let it go so that you can live in peace? And maybe the best way of, of looking at it is this person has no idea the impact that they're having on you. They're living inside of your brain uh, as, as, a, you know, as a virtual creature that's eating you alive. Uh, but I'm just saying as a human being, that's just tough.
1: The, the Buddha said that um, being angry is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's not how it works. You're carrying that anger with you and you have to let go of the anger. And I will tell you the forgiveness is not for the other person. The forgiveness is for you. If you carry it. And if I don't know if you had have people in your life that are carrying a lot of anger, I have some and that anger just eats away at them every single year and they just get more angry and more upset all the time because they're carrying that. So if you're worried about like, why do I have to forgive this person that harmed me? It's not for them. It's for you. You have to clear that anger because the negativity will continue to grow. And the more you focus on the negativity, the more negative you're going to be and the more angry you're going to be. So. You just have to let it go. And that's one of the hardest things to say in this book. How do you just let it go? You just have to say, my life is going to go on without this. I had this trauma, whatever it is. I've had all kinds of traumas in my life. I had a, a relatively tough childhood in a lot of ways. And I've forgiven everybody, everybody. you know, I had a, a father that left my mom with six kids uh, when I was seven years old. Uh, we kept my half brother and sister for some period of time. My mom, I have no idea how she knew who to do this, but she never let me have any anger or heart in my heart about that deal. So I'm I'm close to my dad. I love him. I forgave him. Uh, I, most of my family have forg- forgiven him, but that's what you would want. So I'm not carrying it, which is why I'm not uh, like some other people in my family. So you're gonna have those traumas and you have to decide what they mean to you. And if you think that you have to hold on to that, I can tell you, you can just set it down like you're setting down a golf golf clubs. Like, and you just set it there, it's gone. Like, you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's better to have your own mental health and to have a positive mindset for the most part. Everybody, I do have to say this because I do have a number of disclaimers. Uh, One of the disclaimers, there are events in your life that you should react to with negativity. There, there are. There are certain things that you should be negative about. And so I would never tell you, you have to get rid of all of the negativity. It's here because we need it. It's part of us, but it shouldn't be all the time for you. When something truly bad happens, you are gonna have a negative reaction and you're allowed. So I, tell, I wanna be allowed to be negative if, if it, the circumstances, Require that, and you should too, because some things just need that reaction.
0: One of the analogies that I heard a long time ago about giving away anger or getting rid of the anger is to picture in your mind an old-school file cabinet. And in that cabinet, there are folders, and the file cabinet is essentially God. So you open up the file cabinet in your mind, you take that anger, pull it out of your heart, and you stick it into that file close the file you close the drawer and it's a it's a, a mental or a visual you know way of, of ridding yourself of something that's eating you up and that that has worked for me in the past of just going through that exercise like you said just you're just going to set it down so you 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 visualize this this anger is a, a you know a big heavy weight that I'm carrying around with me I'm just going to stop by the roadside set it down and then be on my way Drive off. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Anthony Anorino, the author of a brand new book called The Negativity Fast. Folks, you can get this at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. And this is a book that I recommend that not just buy a copy for yourself, buy a copy for your entire family, buy a copy for everyone you know. Buy a copy for the people that that work with you. It's gonna be an amazing holiday gift for all those around you because it's gonna have a positive impact on everybody. It's gonna be a gift that you give other people to join you in your negativity fast. If you wanna learn more about Anthony, you can find him on all the social media channels. He's got an amazing YouTube channel, so just go Anthony Andorino on YouTube. Uh, But he's got this uh, incredible website called thesalesblog.com. And he writes every single day. Anthony, I call him the smartest man in sales. And if you if you like want to get some positive input, if you're in sales in particular, go to the salesblog.com, check out all of Anthony's materials, a lot of free stuff there. And folks, if you've never taken a course on Sales Gravy University, go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com and use the code FREECORSE to get your very first course for free. And if it were me, I would go in and I would pick one of Anthony's courses. Is there a fanatical prospecting course there? There is a fanatical prospecting course. Can there. they can they get that course for free? They can get that course for free. What, Any course what, you want.
1: what what would I what would I say if I was charging for that? What's that worth to a salesperson who executes it?
0: it's probably worth $100,000 minimum over the course of the next year for your income.
1: If you are not creating enough opportunities, I only point people to one place, and that is fanatical prospecting. Uh, Do get the book uh, thing so you can do that too. Like You want to pick that up so you get some help with this. If you execute this, you will have more opportunities. You will have a better pipeline. Uh, Nobody cares about a pipeline like Jeb does it's the life, right?
0: That's right. The pipe is, the pipe life. is the life. Awesome. And
1: Can I say one thing? <laughs> yes. Uh, we are going to do an outbound next year and uh, we're working on it right now. So for all of you people who want to come to outbound, you will get a chance to do that. Uh, it will be smaller in some ways. It's going to be bigger in other ways. So when you, uh, when you see us announce this, you're going to want to probably work Pretty fast on this, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When the outbound tickets go on sale, they're gonna go fast because we took a year off, and they're gonna move. And we're gonna have uh, fewer tickets this year than we've ever had before. We're gonna be shifting the focus of the conference uh, really more around learning and education. So we're gonna have a smaller crowd, a lot more, uh, a lot more impact, and. Uh, and and just a little bit more intimacy. We're going to go back to our roots when we had you know 600 pe- people versus you know 2,000 people, and we could really interact with you and spend time with you. So I'm really excited about where we're going. And then since we're talking about big reveals, um, this is just a bonus for you. We're, we haven't really publicized this. We're not talking about it a lot. But Anthony and I are working on a book project together, and we are under a deadline. Uh, this book will be out in just a few months, and it's called The AI Edge. And Anthony, you want to give people a quick preview on The AI Edge?
1: Oh, so, so, so far, this has been a a great experience doing this with you. So this guy is probably one of the best storytellers you're ever going to hear. And some of those stories I didn't know as I was reading those. I'm doing, I think I'm doing more of like a technical part than you are. And he's doing more of that. But the book is going to be so AI, we like it, we use it, but we want you to use it in a particular way. So this is not an AI book, even though the the title suggests that it's it's a sales book. So we're gonna weave the AI with what you should be doing as a salesperson now, and to do it in a way that you have the trust of your client because a lot of people are using AI in a way that's destroying the trust that you would need for a client to buy from you. So we're gonna give you our best advice on this. It's gonna be a, a very good read, it's gonna be a fast read, but it's also gonna be an actionable um Structure that you can just use. Like you are going to get prospecting from Jeb. Uh, you are going to have a whole bunch of ideas there, and we're going to give you prompts and, and let you see what we do with uh, Chat GPT and other AI. We'll see what other AI show up. Uh, I am using quite a few right now, and uh, we'll give you our best advice on that.
0: Beautiful! I can't wait for this book to come out. I've learned a lot. I am having a great time writing with Anthony as well. It'll be fun. Anthony, thank you for joining me on the Sales Gravy Podcast.